1: Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Man, that worship was just so, you know, if I was in promised land, if we was uptown and this is the Bronx, I would have told Josh, listen, relax and let them just go in some more uh, and just let them flow as the spirit leads them. That was a profound worship. I said it in the first service. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Uh, you have no idea the rich blessing that you have in your worship team. Your your vocals are ridiculous. I mean, the musicians are anointed, and the flow and the leading of the spirit is as such. I I, I preach at a lot of churches. Everybody ain't got this. Give God praise for what you have. Honor God. Honor God for what He's given you in the gifts and in their humility. Because when I was when I planted my church, I had you know I had a had a drummer with two arms and one stick, and I had a banjo. (laughs) Three strings and it just everything was think to think to think to think to thing. I ain't have none of what y'all had when I started, and five years later we built into an orchestra, but it still was not this. And so to God be the glory for what He's doing. Uh, this is the last uh, time I'll be with you. Uh, well, well, I mean, part two of this. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll get other invitations. See what happens after this. This this last bit of sharing, but honored to to be invited. Uh, I think I have a little bit more time because it's the second service, right? Amen, amen, so I can, I can, can pull off the shovel, get digging a little deeper. I want, to thank, I want to thank your pastor for inviting me and having me. He's on sabbatical. I begin my sabbatical in August, so pray my strength uh, as I rest for the month of August uh, and um, just set aside and let the other pastors in our church handle the pulpit ministry. Forgive the way I look today. I usually don't get down like this uh, with a tie and and a suit, or at least in our church, we're very much like you, uh, where we're relaxed. Uh, But I was at an ecumenical interfaith sort of gathering in Long Island, uh, and it was an interesting interesting moment I was sharing with Pastor Josh. They wanted me to go and pray and talk a little bit about Jesus without saying the name of Jesus. So you already know. You already know. (laughs) I was up in there like, listen, you know. But I said, there's other names of God, and I said, you know, the Alpha, the Omega, the Eternal One, right, the Bread of Life, the Everlasting, right, the Ancient of Days. And I had one Jamaican sister from Brooklyn from the back, just say his name is Jesus. And I, Jamaica, I said, you gotta go to Bridge Church, right? I know you from Bridge Church. It was, a, it, was a, it was a funny situation, but it was still an honor to be invited. I thought about it on the way over here. Sometimes we think it's a certain verbiage or it's a vernacular. It's a certain, you know, key phrase. But people should see your face without you even opening your mouth. People should be able to see the one in you before you even extend a hand to them. I spoke about this earlier and in the past, where there are people that come into our lives sometimes that move us and sway us profoundly before we even actually meet them. Because they're witness goes before them. The grace that's upon them and in them is sort of the introduction that they are different than been touched or at the feet of the master. Everyone, if I would actually lift your hands up, if you ever knew somebody that walked into your life, you knew they were Christian before you said a word to them, and that's the sort of witness we should have. So I'm not going to get offended when they invite me to these places and they don't want me to say Jesus. It's more important that they see Jesus in me as I go to these places to be a witness, uh, even to those that believe differently. I would pray that this message and this uh, context, uh, the context of this second and final reflection would challenge you. Uh, I believe the Spirit moved profoundly in the first service. But to get the context and the backdrop, you've got to go to verse one of Acts chapter 17. I'm starting at verse one. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and just for context's sake, The Bible says this in verse one. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And this was Paul's custom in his missional journeys. That wherever he went, he would go to a synagogue and he would evangelize. The Bible says, and on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving, explaining and proving Bridge Church, you are called to explain and to prove the gospel. You are called to explain and to prove Jesus is real to Brooklyn. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And we talk about what Paul's intentionality was as he's going through the Middle East. He's stopping and what he's doing is he's preaching a gospel that is Christocentric, meaning that Jesus Christ is at the center. And because he's being faithful in this ministry, it is starting a ripple effect within the social context. The administration of Thessalonica, which is pagan Rome, takes note that this Paul and Silas are in the synagogue. Mind you, I said this before and I want you to focus on this because some people think it has to be a huge campaign. It has to be a huge movement. No, it just takes two or three for Jesus to be there. He turns around and has a small Bible study, and in the Bible study, the entire city gets lit. I want to have a Bible study like that. I want to have a Bible study that starts revival in my hood. I want to see drug dealers drop their drugs, I want to see prostitutes get off the corner and accept Jesus as King and Savior. I want to see families come back together in a Bible study. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine at the sharing, at the name above every name, that chains would fall off? We just sang, let your glory fall in this place. The glory falls when Jesus is high and lifted up. When Jesus is high and lifted up. Not our denominations, not our affiliations, not our seminaries, not our favorite ministry practice, not our favorite evangelist. Fra- when Jesus is lifted up, the furniture in the house is what? Remodeled. Furniture don't stay in the same place. The wilderness changes when we lift up the name of Jesus. Paul turns around and it says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Now listen listen, listen to the implication of this last verse. Not only did he preach Christ to the Jews, they were Jews, they held on to Mosaic law. It was in a synagogue, it wasn't a Christian church. He speaks about the Christ and his sufferings. They are persuaded. But then there's other people in the room that are persuaded by what Paul is sharing about Jesus. Who's in the room? Somebody say, who's in the room? Come on, wake up. Who's in the room? Free people are in the room. Slaves are in the room. Women are in the room. Jesus crosses social lines. As the gospel is preached, the gospel moves. And too often, and I said this, too often the gospel is moving into places the church doesn't want to go because the church is too dignified, too holified, too tongues speaking and too spirit dancing. Yes, I said that. And I come out of a reformed, I am reformed charismatic, but I come out of a charismatic Pentecostal formation. But I understand that it's gotta be a lot more than feeling. Come on, it's gotta be a lot more than theatrics. Where's the power? Where's the transformation? Where's the anointing that breaks the back of the enemy? Where's the miracles, signs, and wonders? I believe in a Jesus that can still save the lost. Somebody say amen. I believe in a Jesus that can still change a life, set captives free, transform a worldview, and bring people into a place of peace. I believe that there's a Jesus. We need to stick to biblical Jesus I think there's another Jesus out there. I think there's a few Jesuses out there. There's a Jesus that's silent around the racial tensions that we see in America. I said that. I'm going to say it again. This Jesus sometimes is pictured, almost looks a little bit like Max von Snyder in the King of Kings 1971 got his head tipped to the side with the crown looking like like it's a hat, one drip of blood, and he's blonde hair and blue eye. Let me help you with this, brother. There were no blonde-haired, blue-eyed Europeans in the first century church. So the very depiction of the Jesus that we see commercialized looks very different from the Jesus that we find in the Bible. we got to come back to biblical Jesus that hasn't been colonized and co-opted by a European agenda. Did you hear what I just said? we got to come back to the text. We've got to leave the falsehoods and the heresies alone because it is heretical to be silent in the presence of another person suffering. Suchan Ra, mentor and friend, says to me from North Park Theological Seminary, he has a book, Lamentations, I highly recommend that you read it. He says to me, Michael, you ever wanna find ministry, listen for the weeping, listen for the crying, listen for the voice of the woman gagging on her own tears as they strip from her, the baby, from her bosom at the border. Listen for the grandmother that's fighting in court on Center Street for her baby boy that just got taken into the tombs. Let me translate that, because not everybody up in here know what the tombs is. But the tombs is that holding pen when they, when they arrest African-American teenagers for, for crimes and throw the book at them in a judicial system that's not for them. And they throw them and they hit them with five years probation Uh, at 15, 16, 17 years old knowing that no 15 or 16, 17 year old is in their right mind anyway. And that they're going to infract soon, violate, get arrested, go to the joint. That's the way the system is set up. There's a Jesus that addresses and speaks to that system. There's a Jesus that's concerned about black boys and mass incarceration. There's a Jesus that weeps and laments at the exonerated five that got caught up so many years ago when I was a young man. Weeps and laments that these young men's lives were taken from them. And to go to a level four facility for a charge of rape is to have a target on your back. You cannot sleep. You cannot shower. You cannot eat. You are never safe. But you're 15 and you're black. There's a Jesus that cares about that issue. Somebody say amen. There's a Jesus about the holocaust of black women that are missing in this country and first nation women that are missing in this country. There's a biblical Jesus. There's a biblical Jesus that Paul is preaching and that the gospel is moving and it transcends social context, social reality, and even economic class because free and slave in the same space hear the same message, come to the same Christ. Not of the same tribe or the same language or the same economic class, but they have the same transformative, redemptive experience at the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I teach this thing? And what happens is that we, too often, we take a hermeneutic of of, of a selective hermeneutic and we want to say that faith itself is a private matter. It has no purpose and no place in public dialogue. Let me just talk about that heresy. Because Paul walks into a faith and walks into a ministry and walks into a situation where he is right smack dab in the middle of socio-political clashes. Thessalonica is under pagan Roman rule. It is a cultish administration, an abusive administration, and Paul is preaching Jesus to Jews that are oppressed by the administration speaking to slaves, that they don't even have a social, a social identity in the, in the tier of, of how do we do, do a social status. Women who don't even have a social classification at this time in the first century. But what does the Bible say? That when Jesus is high and lifted up and the gospel is preached, it says that Paul and Silas, as did a great many devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, women, are mentioned in this text. Women that heard the message and ran with the message, believed the message, preached the message, taught the message. You know, Gustavo Guterres in his series on the story of Christianity 1, 2, and 3 would argue that the evangelism explosion and the persecution and the diaspora of the first and second century of the church was not the patriarchs or the disciples. It were the women who were selling the fabrics and on the circuit throughout the city. It was the slave who had a conversion experience who happened to be an earshot of the preaching of the word. Somebody say amen. amen. Let somebody start teaching the word of God. Let the the anointing of God begin to flow out of you as you start to be found faithful in the call. I said to my church last night, we were talking about the power of worship. The power of worship. Later on or earlier on in Acts, you find out that Paul and Silas were in Rikers Island. They were in C-76, The Bible says late in the midnight hour. Paul and Silas, we're in the dark. This text says late in the midnight hour to let us know that when we're supposed to really get into some real worship, when we're supposed to bring down the glory of God, it's not when everything is going well. It's late in the midnight hour. What happens? Paul and Silas start to do worship late in the midnight hour. C-76, bottom bunks, they start to worship. The Bible records that the entire prison starts to shake and that every prisoner door opens up. Let me tell you something, son. When you start to worship on one side of your house and people are getting delivered on the other side of the house, this side is with me. I don't know where this side of the church is. If you would start worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, yeah, yeah. What, is the, what is the theological implication? What is the imagery that we see in the narrative? That they started to worship, but other people were set free. Yeah. Is anybody? I believe in miracle signs and wonders. I believe that healing can happen in worship. We don't gotta lay hands. Let, let God be high and lift it up. Let the anointing fall in this place, and people that are bound up, screwed up, left out and rejected will come to a place of solace and redemption and transformation. I said this to the earlier service, Bridge Church, you are called to be a bridge over troubled waters for Brooklyn. People are gonna walk over into Bridge Church out of tumultuous waters, but you're also called to be a bridge into tumultuous missional waters. You're a what? You're summoned, and then you're sent. You're summoned to God out of brokenness, and then you're sent by God into brokenness to deal with the broken world. You're summoned, ek, you're sent, klesia. You're summoned, ek, you're sent, klesia. Ek, klesia is the name of what we call call church, and it's a political term. It's not a religious term. It's not a theological term. It was a socio-political classification that the Romans used, ecclesia, the political gathering. Paul steps into a context, and he turns around and starts preaching the gospel. The gospel in itself goes to places Paul probably never even intended, but such as the spirit moves. And what happens? The Bible says as we continue to read, but the Jews were jealous, and I said this in the first service, let you start stepping into the call that God has for you. There's going to be haters, and haters are going to hate. Be careful with the haters that are in your life. This is just a sidebar. Be careful with the haters, because haters have another name. they call dream killers, and dream killers will sabotage, stop, denounce, and I said this, I'll say it again, and in proper context, metaphorically, there are more blessings aborted in the church than outside the church. Because of dream killers. Because of people that don't believe. They ain't ready to hear what God has for you. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Do you see what the tumultuous issue is in this narrative, in this, in this pericope, in this paragraph? The challenge is political. They're saying that Paul is speaking against Caesar, and he was. He was saying, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord, and at that very proclamation, it went against the system. It went against the administration. It went against what the status quo was in the colonization of Thessalonica and the people that lived in that section of the Middle East. The gospel will put you in a place to face clashes. If you're called and you're being found faithful in ministry, guess what? Ministry is always going to lead you to a problem. Always. You know, today we've got three charter schools, two in being made built, $100 million in, in edifice and an and, educational um, uh, activity in the next three to five years to God be the glory. But that comes with problems I ain't never seen before. I sign checks. Did I be like, is this check legal to sign? Because there's so many zeros behind it on the down payment of a plot of land. Wait a minute, I got to sign this check? Because this waters I've never been in before. But that's the call. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than my accounting system. It's bigger than anything I've ever done. We planted seven churches out of a chapel service. A chapel service turned into a church. A chapel. We never woke up and said, let's go to Exponential and start church planting. That wasn't the idea. We just wanted to deal with the adjudicated youth that were coming back into the South Bronx. They heard the gospel message in our office. And when we sent them to the church, the church was too sick to embrace them. I said that, sick. Because any church that will not embrace a newborn infant in the faith, there's something wrong with the church. Did you hear what I just said? We cannot choose who the Lord brings to us. Our job is to embrace them, to love them, to educate them, to empower them, to allow the spirit to mold and shape them, to disciple them so that they know and learn the voice of the master. Paul starts a ripple effect throughout Thessalonica. They come and they arrest Jason. And after they take Jason to Central Booking in downtown Brooklyn, they turn around, they then turn him out and say, you gotta give us money for us to let you out. We're gonna, you're gonna get bailed out over here. And when they take the money as security from Jason, then they let him go. This whole thing can be seen as a, an imagery of some of the stuff we see on TV today. Because if we as the church don't have Christ at the center, we're gonna be silent about the issues we should speak about and we're gonna speak about the issues that we should be silent about. If Christ is not the center but a denominational agenda, we're gonna push the denomination instead of pushing the kingdom of God. If Christ is not the center of the church, we're not gonna turn around and feed the homeless, love the homeless, Engage the homeless. We're going to turn the homeless away. If Christ is not the center of the church, we're going to have a very one-sided, individual, right, consumeristic ethos in our community. No disciples. And I said this in the last in the last service. There are some churches that got the wrong type of leadership, and what happens is you got more transients in the church than you do in the subway system. You got more people coming out and through the church with an attitude, no transformation, no formation, no salvation, no conversion, no baptisms, walking into a world still broken. We are not supposed to be a place that's a turnstile, spiritually speaking. We should be a place and a destination and an extension of the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen if you agree with that. I should not be coming to the church and getting locked up. But that's what we see happening today. When we embrace a narrative that is racist. When we embrace a narrative that is colonialistic. When we embrace a narrative that is silent and neutral on the issues that break God's heart. There's no justification of the language used against Brother Cummings, one of the, long, the, the last standing that marched with the Dr. Martin Luther King. Or the atrocity of the narrative that was spoken against the place where he comes from and he leads as a, as a voted in politician. I say, oh, this guy's getting political. No, this is still theology, check this out. When we allow public curses to be spoken over a people group and we don't defend those that cannot defend themselves and we don't stand up for the right, what happens is that we are now allowing oppression to happen and that is sin. James says it clearly. To him who knows right and does wrong, to him it is sin. It's not my word. But for us to allow language that paints a picture of a people group. Brooklyn, let me, let, me, let, me, let me spit this straight up. It wasn't that long ago when this section of Brooklyn was called rat infested. Rodent and vermin filled heroin addicts, crackheads, prostitutes, dope fiends, crime, poverty, abandoned buildings. Brooklyn is Brooklyn. And gentrification doesn't necessarily mean that you've gotten better. It just means that you got a pretty mask on. And that's the problem with gentrification. It dislocates the indigenous, misappropriates the most vulnerable leaves them hanging and destitute, displaces them, which is the history of colonization. Coming into a context, how do we take it over? Evict them. Destroy their churches. Destroy their social gatherings. Destroy their educational institutions. Now, they've got no place to go. Let them work that out themselves. I highly recommend Willie Jennings, A Christian Imagination. I wept reading that book but it empowered me as I looked at this text. What are the homilies and what are the, the intentional rhythms that you see in Paul? Next slide. As he moves in ministry, there are certain harmonies that we should see in every healthy missional church. The first one is this, that the gospel is being preached. A gospel that's crystal-centric but spirit-leading. Christ-centered but looking for the Holy Spirit's leading. Christocentric, but Spirit-leading. That means we believe in the name of Jesus, but we lean on the Holy Spirit for discernment, for leading, for guiding, for loving, for discerning momentum and missio day for us. We want to take one person of the Trinity and kick out the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's what you see here. You see patriarchal systems that dismiss the Son and don't even talk about the Spirit. A deconstruction of the Trinity is part of the problem with American evangelicalism today. I'm probably speaking a little bit too academic to some people, but please, please do the research. Ultimately, we have to have a balanced Trinitarian theology that understands the narrative and what the preaching of the gospel is. There are too many, and I'm not here to slide any denomination, any church, but I've been in ministry three decades. I've seen some things, been some places, Witness some things. There's too many churches facilitating exegetical malpractice today because they don't go into the text. And they sell a commercial theology. And people are dying. I heard one theologian say, preaching is a matter of life and death today. Where are the prophetic voices? Where are the prophetic voices that have a discerning ear? What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that everything's not a protest. There's got to be balance. Somebody say balance. Balance. Because you know, some people are apostolic prophetic types and they're so militant and they're so prophetic that they can turn around and be on a line for an ice cream cone and the chocolate runs out and they say, Oh my God, there's no chocolate ice cream because I'm black. Can I kick it? Oh, now you're mad at me because I said that. Oh, you mad at me because I said that. Right? If Christ is not at the center, a good movement, a powerful movement, a movement of God turns into a militant movement. You hear what I'm telling you? Advocacy movements happen all the time. But when they go away from what the mission and the heart of Jesus, they become something other. And that's what becomes ambiguous and confusing for the church. Paul never leaves the mission of preaching the gospel, of lifting up the name of Jesus, boldly going where the Spirit led him, boldly professing the name of Jesus. Oh, we serve a Jesus. The text Jesus has an issue with mass incarceration Jesus has an issue with babies being stripped from parents at the border. Jesus has an issue, an issue with any law that's gonna oppress any people group. This is not liberal theology. We serve a good, good father. Somebody say amen. Amen. He doesn't choose one child over the other. He loves us right where we are. Somebody say Amen. Amen. The church that is led by the Spirit is not just a good preaching and teaching and disciple-making church but it is a place where supernatural doesn't become the norm, but is definitely a rhythm of regularity. There should be supernatural testimonies happening in every house of the Lord. People coming to the Lord and their lives being changed forever. You know, I could testify. I could testify. I'm 30 years in ministry, still married to my wife, got all my kids. Three bulls. to God be the glory in ministry, have ordained and sent out men and women across the country to God be the glory. But if you would have met me when I was 17 years old, I had 15 bags of crack on me. If you would have met me when I was 15 years old, jaded from visiting my mother and my father in prison. And it wasn't deep Calvin theology that moved me. It was a small little Pentecostal church that believed in the blood of Jesus that pulled out Goya oil. Come on, somebody. We get so academic in our preaching and theology and teaching, we forget the oil. And a sister, I didn't know what she was saying in English or Spanish, pulled out this oil and looked at me up and down and was like, oh yeah, you got problems, son. But the name of Jesus all over you. That day, something changed in my life. That day, when I got up off the floor, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. When I got up off the, and I was on the floor, son. I thought, you know, in the the, 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 the Latino culture, sometimes you wake up, there's a flash, and then you see the ceiling, because your grandmother threw the chancleta at you, you know, she threw this, African-American, big mama got that too, she got two slippers. And I'm the oldest of nine, so my grandmother was like playing double dutch with her slippers, she was like. But this lady prayed for me, had me on her mind, Took the time and prayed for me. Bam, fell out. Woke up. Oh, Lord. What? It was a new... It was, everything was different. Everything was different. And then I went to Teen Challenge. Christian Drug Rehabilitation Program, class of 93. Right? I usually don't get into that until after I'm toward the closing of a lecture series. Because most people, they respect that you're a professor of New Testament theology, they respect that you're a bishop, they respect all of that, but the minute you tell them you were strung out on drug and you was lost, and you got a rap sheet and you were felon, they then dismiss you as a statistic. Thank the Lord that there's nothing that can dismiss you from what? The book of life. Somebody say amen. Right? Come on, somebody say amen. Right? There's no dismissing from that, right? Oftentimes, people dismiss you because of where you come from but Jesus comes after you intentionally because of where you come from. That's the beauty of this gospel. That's the beauty of the narrative that we preach and teach. For God so loved the world, the world in Greek cosmos means everything and everybody that was fallen, everything and everybody that was fallen. You are never too jacked up for the Lord to touch you, heal you, change you, then send you out to help somebody else. And any church that is preaching the gospel is preaching a narrative that is life-giving where the dunamis and the dynamo, the explosive power of the Holy Spirit is happening in the pew. He's preaching with integrity. He's preaching the message. He ain't getting to fly with it. He's preaching the gospel and the good news. And people that are listening to it who would normally, would not even have access to it. Women, slaves, free, Greek, Jews are persuaded. Who are you persuading, Bridge Church? Who are you speaking to that's coming to the faith? Or do we constantly have to speak the faith into you? And that's a spiritual formation issue. When we got to come back to the if we gotta continue to visit the fundamentals of the faith, that is an anemic church. That's an anemic formation. And it shows an issue within the body. This is why when when the rough time comes, you don't stand, you run. And you know who your savior is. Am I talking to anybody today? There's an apostolic ministry Paul preaches and when he preaches, I, you know I, Dr. Dwight Perry, uh, Dean of Faculty at North Park Theological Seminary, I, I have a lot of professors because uh, I'm a part of the Covenant Church. That's our seminary. I graduated from, uh, of course, you know CMA and TCU, and, but that's, that's my denomination. So a lot of us gather at North Park often in our gathering of the ministerium and the ordered ministry. Dr. Dwight Perry would say this and argue this today. He would say that preaching, gospel-centered preaching, is a matter of life and death for the church today. It's a matter of life and death for the church today. We need to hear the truth of the text. And the text is not racist. And the text does not ostracize or marginalize. The text always sets you free. Gospel was being preached. Second bullet. The gospel was being taught. The gospel was being taught. We have a very selfish, individualistic, self centered, People in America today, especially within the church, and the minute a pastor starts really preaching and teaching it hard, let me tell you something. When Jesus preached, he upset everybody that was in the church. Let me help you with this. The institutional church of the first century, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, every time Jesus opened his mouth, he, what, 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 they were upset. They wanted to stone him, right? He would walk around, you brood of vipers, This is how he talks to the institutional church. You brood of vipers, who warned you of the judgment to come? They were always asking him questions when he would get live like that, you know what I mean? When he would get East New York like that, you know what they would tell him? They would would tell his disciples, but why does your master eat with those types of people? Because he was never with the status quo. Paul doesn't acquiesce to the administration. Paul is not silent in the presence of a pagan administration. Paul preaches the truth, and whoever hears it and accepts it and receives it, he loves and accepts them into the kingdom of God. Church, your faith is a matter of public forum. I'm not saying go out there and argue with politicians. I'm saying that politicians, you should be so under the anointing and the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit that politicians are seeking you out for wisdom, that they're seeking you out for leadership, that they're seeking you out to be the response to the broken communities in your society, that you as a person of color, of African-American descent, a descent of royalty, they should be coming to you in your project building, seeking your royal guidance and leadership. So me say, man, this Latino, he's really pro, he's pro African American, right? Don't clap too hard. Let me help you with that. Let me help you with that. Let me tell you why I'm like that. Cause I'm Black Tino. I'm mixed. I'm mixed, and I don't hide that I'm mixed. My father came from Manati, Puerto Rico, a, a, a pueblo, a campo on the island, but my mother, they came from North Carolina and St. Louis. You know what I'm saying? What does that mean? That means I love a jocundule and grits. Yeah. Collard greens. Biscuits and gravy. Somebody say amen. Yeah. But what does that mean? That aside, that I'm, I'm made up of two oppressed DNAs, right? Two people groups that have been oppressed by the dominant culture. That aside, when you study the history of the island, the Spanish conquistador, pagan administration, brings about the what? black Egyptian slave to the island of Puerto Rico, to what, be enslaved with the indigenous Taino Indian, and then those three cultures make up what you see before you. Any Latino Caribbean that denies Africa does has not read and don't understand who they are because I'm black as black as you are. And I own my blackness and my Latinoist, that's right. I own both of them. I'm a black man that speaks and understands Spanish. I speak three tongues, heavenly tongues. We're going to talk about that here. The gospel was being taught. What happens when people start to learn? What happens when people start to understand their heritage, their background? What happens when the poor start to get educated? What happens when they have exposure to the same resources as the dominant culture? That's what Paul was doing. What happens when they start to understand? That this is not just a nice guy named Jesus, but he's in the line of David, and Torah says this about David and the promise to David that there will always be somebody at the right hand of the Father because of God's promise to Abraham. That's education, that's history, that's social studies. I never thought I'd get into doing charter schools, because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor and right? I'm a clergy, right? I'm a clergy person. That's not what we do. But when I started to read the text, I said, no, 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 no. To study theology is to study missiology. It's to study anthropology. It's to study hermeneutics, sociology. It's to study history. It's to study exegesis and intertranslation from the original text, Latin, Greek, Septuagint, Masoretic texts. It is to study every discipline. And we don't have enough pastors that are dedicated to the discipline of the word. And because of that illiteracy and that anemia, you have a silence. The other side of that coin, which adds tension, I'm going to say it. I said it to one brother who was very honest. I don't know who that white pastor was that came to me in humility. And I just, Garrett, his name was Garrett. Is Garrett still in the building? Garrett just touched my heart. Touched my heart. He turns around and he says, You know, I want to, I'm white. I'm white. I said, Yeah, I noticed that you're white. He said, yeah, okay. I said, okay, so we're seeing things clearly. You're white. He said, but how can I, without selling, without, without sounding like I'm ingenuous, disingenuous, how do, I, how do I, I said, brother, take a posture of humility. And if you're called to the Bronx or you're called to Brooklyn, then take a posture of humility and then learn from those leaders who have gone before you who are indigenous to the community. Go to the Church of God in Christ Bishop and say, hey, can I be a student under you? Go to the, to the Baptist church or to the Assemblies of God church, Latino church, go to the Asamblea Cristiana church in Eastern New York, sit under that pastor for a little bit, talk to that pastor, get his thoughts, get his theology, get his missiology, find out their history, find out where, they, where they've made success, find out where they have struggled, become a student of your missional context before you go in there and try to bring a white Jesus. And he says, I'm not trying to bring a white Jesus. I said, we all, we're all we taught and conditioned to bring a white Jesus. Once again, this is not social gospel. This is not cultural Marxism. This is the text. Our American Christianity has co-opted and colonized even Jesus because he was not blonde hair and blue eye. He looked more Dominican than anything else. And he had an afro. He might have been a little bit Jamaican. He had locks, the Bible says. Some of y'all ain't laughing at that. You ain't got to laugh. That ain't my opinion. Isaiah said that. You can argue with him. See, you see how I just did that? Almost sarcastic, egotistical. No, 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 no. But that's the problem. The minute a person of color starts to unpack the lineage, the cultural reality, the oppression, right, the systemic intentionality against people groups that are on the margins, then we are then what? An angry black man or an angry brown man. So don't argue with me if you think I'm angry. Go and argue with Isaiah a thousand years ago. I probably will never be invited back to this church. But I will have been found faithful with what God told me to tell you. Paul is preaching, Paul is teaching. And those two dynamisms transform a community. They transform a community. They make a community become one. We have an anomaly that was never God's intention. In in any place in Brooklyn, you can go one down, any block. See 15 different churches, 15 different denominations. Nobody's talking to each other. Somebody say amen. You know where you live? Come on, let's keep it all haunted up in here. It's the same thing in the South Bronx. Nobody's talking to each other for whatever reason. And whenever you see those sort of paradigms, what you see is, 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 is a really hard issue because we, we have these institutions that we're building instead of expanding the kingdom of God. I said that. Do you think there's going to be an Assemblies of God uh, section when the trumpet blows? Or an Evangelical Covenant section of the... Or a four square section of the uh, or American Baptist Church section. Some of y'all think that there's gonna be, that the only language they speak in heaven is Spanish. Let me help you with that. That's God's heavenly language. Let me help you with that. When He comes and the trumpet, the trumpet will blow. Let me tell you something. What has kept me. Lo, what's kept me focused, what's kept me centered is that when I see all this stuff on ABC, NBC, CBS, and, 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 and PPV, and, 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 and God help us with Fox, when I see all these things, when I see all these things, I remember that my king is coming. I remember that my king is coming. That soon and very soon we will see the king. And that's his promise. That's our eschatology. That's our hope that he's coming for his bride, that he's coming for his church, that he's coming for a holy bride without spot or wrinkle that did what she was supposed to do as she waited for her groom, came into unison, came into resolve, preached peace, loved the unlovable and touched the untouchable. That's the gospel, that's not Jay-Z. Amen. Love the unlovable and touch the untouchable. That's the good news, Amen. that we who cannot save ourselves find, find life in Jesus. Paul preaches, Paul teaches, third bullet, and then Paul moves in this ministry of apologia, and that doesn't mean apologize, but it's the defense of the gospel, it's the explanation of the gospel. It's the explanation um, in contrast to other studies. He defends the faith, he preaches the good news, he teaches and makes disciples, and what happens? Paul rocks the first century. He builds these churches, he speaks to them, he prophesies, he holds them accountable. At the end, What is it that Paul faces? He faces everything or the same thing we all will face when we find ourselves faithful in serving the master. At the end of Acts, the Bible says that Paul, at the end, is in prison and he's holding the bars, but the gospel continued to move throughout the rest of the Middle East. To follow Jesus is to engage in a life of suffering. To follow Jesus is to move in prophetic intentionality And to speak to those who cannot speak for themselves. And to love and to reach those that are lost. To follow Jesus is going to cost you something. And if it's costing you nothing, you're not following Jesus. You're following your ego. I said that. You hear what I said? If it's not costing you anything to do ministry in this context, please do something else. Please go someplace else. Because to follow Jesus hurts. To follow Jesus transforms you. Paul says what? I die daily that some would come to him. But that's not the gospel people want to hear. They want to hear it's going to be all good. They want to hear there's no racism. They want to hear mass incarceration is not a problem. They want to say that it's Obama's fault that all this stuff is happening with immigration. As if there has not been an immigration issue from day one of America. The king is coming. And we see in Acts chapter 17 that our faith is a public, something should be seen public, something that should be a movement. Bridge, you are called to be a bridge church over troubled waters. But as people that are broken come here and find resolve and find healing and find redemption and find new life, they should then be sent over the bridge into troubled missional waters. So you receive the broken. And as they're healed, and sometimes they're going to leave here and they're not all the way healed yet. Let me tell you, I can testify. Sometimes the Lord leaves you with a limp. But as he gives you a limp, he changes your name. Bridge church. Preach. Teach. Explain and rationalize. Let them know. Explain the love affair of the Creator with His creation. Tell Brooklyn on this side of Brooklyn, tell everybody in Brooklyn there's one King. He's coming back. Tell them that He's a King that's just. Tell them He's a King that loves, He cares for the immigrant, He cares for black boys. He cares for black women. He cares. This is the word of the Lord. And if you can receive it, say amen. Amen.
0: We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com.